Hey everybody, welcome to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always is Vince, and this week we have a special guest. Uh, I'm going to mangle the name of his podcast, I mess up the order all the time, but the host of Super Comic Battle Wars, did I get it right? Yeah, you did, I think. I haven't got it right yet in the open. We kept adding to it as well, so yeah. Yeah. My goal is to make it long and convoluted as possible. Success, my friend. It's Kyle Welch. Hi, Kyle. Hello, thanks for having me this thanks, week. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. While Zach is in uh, Japan, we're going to have rotating multiversity guests. And uh, Kyle's show is just about to launch. Well, I guess by the time you're hearing this, the third episode will be out. Uh, Kyle, can you give people like a brief elevator pitch for what your show is? Yeah, so the idea is uh, the three guests we have on, well, I mean, me, um, Matt Loon, who writes for the site, and... Um, Hopefully a rotating uh, third guest will come on with our, we'll take our five best books of the previous month. So this episode going up uh, in June will be for the best books of May. We talk about our five favorite books, we rank them, and then out of those total 15 books, we debate at the end to come up with the five best like undisputed books of the month out of our 15. So it's uh, kind of a, a way to have like a positive talk about books because um, we're all coming with like really good books or at least we feel it and then at the end like while we're debating about the books we can kind of like critically look at them and it's it's a little more positive and fun I found than uh, some other stuff I've done in the past. I, I really enjoy the show. It's uh, it's super fun and you each bring an interesting perspective to it. Uh, we're not going to spoil the the best book of May but what did you guys decide was the best book of April? Oh, what was it? It was... Oh, shit. Um, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> That's how good my memory is. Um, Certainly it's Blue Beetle or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it? I don't know. Well, I mean, if... I can give you... Um, oh, here. I can look it up. Hey, well, I, hey, well, the show posts uh, every third uh, Friday of the month on Multiversity, so make sure to uh, check it out. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, De- Alien Dead Orbit. That's right. Well, oh, that, that was, was great. Vince, did you read that? No, I didn't. Oh, man. It's the... It's, um... I know it's my shit, though. Um, <laughs> who's on art for that? Uh, it's all it's all Stakoy. Yeah, right. Yep. Oh, yeah. I got, yeah, I got to catch up with that. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's super great. Um, anyway, so check that out, and uh, Kyle's on Twitter at Kyle Overkill, and uh, yeah, let's get into the books, boys. Uh, so we have the first issue of the sort of big launch of DC's Dark Matter line, the the beginning of Metal, their big crossover in the fall. This is Dark Days, The Forge, number one. It is written by Scott Snyder and James Tynion IV, illustrated by Jim Lee, Andy Kubert, and John Romita Jr. Um... There is so much to talk about in this issue, but overall, what were your guys' impressions of the book? Was it like I'm I'm gonna tip my hand here? Like to me, I loved how every time I turned the page, it seemed like there was some other 
like little nugget of DC history or some character tease or something really fun in there. So I I was really enjoying the book as I was reading it. We're going to leave out conversation about the ending for a minute. Uh, oh, I should mention we're going to spoil the shit out of all these books. So if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, read the books that were released on June 14th, 2017, and then come back to the show. Um, so anyway, this is a rambling way to be asked, for me to ask you guys what you thought about this issue. Uh, Kyle, you're our guest. Why don't you start us off? Um, I mean, I think you nailed it in the sense... And this is what DC does best is like really incorporating their history into their books. Um, so it was cool to see that, but at the same time, I found myself like on Wikipedia like a lot <laughs> looking up shit that it was in this book. Um, I enjoyed it. It felt if you didn't understand a lot of it, it kind of uh, lingered at points for me. I felt like I was lost, but uh, I thought it was a pretty solid entry. But like I said, I, if if you're not familiar with uh, the history, I don't know how much you got out of it. I don't know. Vince, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. There were, um, spe- it's specifically there was a lot of stuff that Scott Snyder had used through his basically entire run on Batman. Um, that if you if you were tuned out for that, or you just don't really remember it all that well, you're you're gonna miss like big chunks of this, like specifically like references to electrum and dionysium which are these like like weird substances that he had in his run and things like that um that if you yeah if you were checked out or don't remember snyder's run all that stuff probably i mean i have to admit that even i had to look up what the what electrum was again because i knew i had heard that before but um was that uh, the stuff that was in dick grayson's tooth was that the court of owls metal Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. That was the Court of Owls medal. The Dionysium was, of course, the thing from uh, the Joker where... Um, the race is mined. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And um, so anyway, uh, yeah, th- yes, that stuff was, was kind of murky if you if you weren't like a mega fan of that run. And, um, and also there was some greater DCU stuff that we just haven't seen in a while that, uh, you know... But but a lot of it was like really iconic stuff, like the tower that <laughs> Batman is somehow keeping <laughs> the multiversal uh, tuning fork. Yeah, the multiversal yeah. tuning fork that he's somehow keeping uh, like underground or behind or behind a, a a wall in the Fortress of Solitude. Weirdly enough, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that works, but but um, but but yeah. I mean, overall. This does the thing that I love that DC does better than anyone else, which is set up an event set set up an event with a book that feels like it could set up a dozen different events or a dozen different new books. Like you you can look at this book and there's a little bit with Batman and the Outsiders, a team that we have not seen since We've seen some of these characters in the New 52, but Batman and the Outsiders we have not seen since before Flashpoint. And here they are, and you feel like you could get a book with them now, you know? Uh, Um, By the way, I just want to point in here, uh, one of our newer writers, Kevin Gregory, Kevin says that he thinks that we're going to get a Duke and the Outsiders book. Oh, fantastic. Which I would love. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, but but it's that same idea all over this book, you know? Um 
we get more Hawkman stuff, which aside from that miniseries, we haven't had the death of Hawkman. We haven't had a lot of Hawkman in a while. Um, the Immortal Men, we know that that's coming. Um, they get some mentions here. So it's packed full of this stuff. That Plastic has, Man and the Egg. Plastic Man. By the way, I feel like a huge idiot because I read this book like three times thinking like, well, I guess I'll figure out what's in that egg like next time. And then <laughs> so, and then I saw online somebody had pointed out that, oh, those are Plastic Man's colors. And that's just, and I'm like, I am a huge idiot. How did I not? <laughs> like those, it didn't even register to me to think about what the colors were and what the design scheme was. I just thought, like, I just was like, well, this is a mystery for another day. <laughs> but I'm a moron, so so that's bound to happen. Um, but yeah. Mr. Miracle was in there for a yeah. bit, just to yep. open a lock. <laughs> Which is amazing. Lock. Like the, To yeah. me, that's what DC does so well. When they're like, there's a, there's a lock we have to break. Let's call in a new god. Like That's, yeah. that's amazing. That's great. Mr. Yeah, he just bounces afterwards too. He's yeah. like, I, I don't like what's in there, but I'm out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this was like, this was like candy for me, you know. This is like catnip. This is DC three catnip, really. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh, I just, you know, r- rest his soul. Zach would love this if he were alive today. <laughs> um, thinking yeah. about you, boo. Yeah, all day, every day. Um, well, Brian, why don't you slobber on this for a while? Sure. Uh, we're not going to get to the ending yet, because that's the one thing I think we're all going to maybe have some stronger feelings about. But one of the things that I've sort of been critical of with DC since Flashpoint in particular was this sort of idea that everything has its own little corner. Like, DC was very big during Flashpoint that there were these lines, right? There was, like, there was a Superman line, the Batman line, the Edge line, and all this bullshit. And characters didn't rub up against each other enough for my liking. The fact that this is ostensibly a Bat story that has a ton to do with Hawkman, where Batman just like rolls up on the Fortress of Solitude, calls Mr. Miracle, goes to the moon and finds Mr. Terrific, walks in on Plastic Man and an egg. Like all the un- all the DC stuff is coming together in, in it feels like it's a shared universe again. And you know, both of you guys have said that this is what DC does best, and it's absolutely right. The DC universe to me is the best shared universe in comics because when everything is going well it all just it all lines up so nicely it all connects so nicely and you know this book made me okay with john ramita jr art which i am i am very reticent to to be at this point in my life but you know there was there was so much good stuff here that i could look over the lumpy mess that is mr terrific here and uh you know, we got fucking Geoforce in an issue. You know, th- this and is, Halo. And Halo, neither, yeah. Neither of them have been seen. I believe Halo I believe Halo has been seen, actually. Really? When? Yeah. I, I don't remember this at all. I want to say it's in... Shit, I'll look it up later. It, it, it's an incredibly minor appearance. But I yeah, you know, all of this is just... It's, like you said, it's catnip. And I, what I think is really fun is that because we we do things like read solicits and because we all write for a comic book website, we're aware of like a Mr. Terrific book happening and the Immortal Men book happening and we're aware of some of what's where this is going. But it it must have been so great and maybe these fans don't exist anymore, but like a guy or a girl who's been a huge DC fan for years going into the store and buying this book and not knowing what's coming next and then seeing all these new things spinning out of this 
it must be such an amazing feeling. Yeah, and it's interesting to have this going on. Uh, I know it's a DC cast, but like uh, Secret Empire, which like Marvel book, you can kind of, without knowing what that is, I feel like you could pick it up and read it. And then that's not a, you know, positive or negative in the sense, but like this you could read, but like if you are a fan of DC, like this is like them placating you and like giving you, I think, everything you want. And it was like tons. I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about. It was underneath Atlantis, and like <laughs> yeah. I've read that like five times, and I keep going back to that. And it's like super interesting. It's like one panel, and I want to know what that is, and I have no idea what it could be. And I, I'm also interested, like, just in in super nerd minutia here, like when this takes place, because Aquaman right now is clean shaven with short hair, and here he's got long hair and a beard. Is that just artistic discrepancy, or is that because this takes place, you know, sometime in the future? I don't know. I love stuff like this. I love all the speculation that comes with it. Yeah. Uh, and the Hal Jordan Duke stuff was great too. Yeah, it's cool that Hal's a part of this. It makes me, it makes me want. I, I I've wanted for the longest time for Snyder to write more DC heroes more often than just Batman. You know. Yeah. I mean, he's written a little bit of Superman, but like, I want more of that because I think he's a really talented writer. Um, you know, with with some flaws, but like, to see him spread his wings a little bit and and write some of these other characters is uh very entertaining to me um can i talk about john ramita's art for a second sure <laughs> well, uh, i couldn't get past it i'm sorry brian i you know like I mean, I under- it's bad it is bad yeah i i don't know i mean people people say that like he is of the same ilk as jim lee and kubert and uh you know these guys who draw like in this in this nineties nineties mm, kind of blocky angular style, and that maybe that was true at one point, but I just don't see it anymore. And it's getting to be, I mean, when Superman answered the the door at the oh, Fortress okay. of Solitude, he, he looked like Patrick Duffy in the shower, <laughs> and, and, like realize or waking, you know. Uh, that it was all a dream on that one season of Dallas or whatever. Saint Elsewhere, you clawed. <laughs> what? Isn't that Saint Elsewhere? No, 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 no. No, it's it was Dallas, right? Pretty sure it's Saint Elsewhere. No, hold on. Patrick Duffy, Dallas. Yeah, Dallas, Bobby Ewing taking a shower. Come on. Saint Elsewhere, what the hell? Saint Elsewhere was the globe, Brian. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Oh man, messing Isn't that up the Bob your... Newman show. <laughs> Newhart. <laughs> yeah, Newhart. Yeah. <laughs> we we are way too young for any. Of these <laughs> yes, <things>. we are. <laughs> but no, literally, that's who he looks like. And I I looked at that and I thought like, oh geez, come on. <laughs> you know, we we literally saw him draw Superman like two years ago. Much not even. Better, not even much better than this. You know, like. He's probably rushed because of Suicide Squad, I guess. He was just coming off of that, but come on, man. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't get past that. Other than that, I thought the art was pretty good. Kubert was good. Lee was good. Um I feel like Kubert and Lee are 
guys that even if you're not a huge fan of what they do, they're good enough storytellers to convey what they're supposed to be conveying visually. Yeah. Whereas I do not feel that way about Ramita. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to get that in there because. I understand. Um, so let's let's talk about the elephant in the room here, guys. At the end of the book, it is revealed that Bruce has been keeping the Joker essentially in a cell in the Batcave for some, you know, period of time. We don't really know how long. Uh, this, you know, there's been this whole big thing about how there are three Jokers in the DC universe. We don't know which Joker this is. We joke about this in the DC three cast all the time about the various Jokers. Um, but what did you guys think of this revelation of Bruce having the Joker in the Batcave? Uh, Kyle, you go ahead on this one. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, I thought it was a nice surprise. I figured out when they like Duke and him are walking through there and has, that was them talking to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it started like, it was a really subtle, like the lettering was in his lettering. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't feel like I was super surprised at the end. I don't know. I don't, maybe it doesn't, I haven't really thought about where he was. So I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt about it. I still don't really know. Like, where he plays into this was weird. I thought it was a weird end, at least for me. It felt to me like the book was all about starting new stories, and then that felt very regressive at the end. Mm. Um, yeah, I um, I read a thing from Scott Snyder talking about it, and he said that he wants the Joker in this to be like a Greek chorus for the story. So, like, explaining... Basically, as they go along, like explaining Batman's uh, <clears throat> mindset, I guess, or else like what what he perceives Batman's mindset or character to be as he goes through this, and and as you learn what he's been keeping from all these heroes, etc. You know, mm-hmm. which I I understand where Snyder's coming from, and and I'm no writer, and he's a uh, you know a famous writer at this point very successful but i didn't feel like the story needed that you know like that idea makes sense but i didn't feel that this issue needed that i think it was pretty clear from the way everything played out that this was a very dark deep mystery that batman was keeping from everyone and you don't need the joker to put like a a button on that a button a the button but also um also, like, Snyder just, at this point, the Joker has been in basically every story that he's written for Batman. And I just felt like everything else in this book was so fresh and new, like you said, Brian. And then we saw the Joker again, and I'm like, eh, I, I don't know if he needs to be a part of this, especially if... We're about to get him, right? What's that? Aren't we about to get him in King's Batman too? We're about yeah. to, yes, exactly. Yep, we're about to get him in King's Batman, and Jeff Johns has the three Jokers idea that he's going to resolve by the end of Rebirth, which Snyder says he's not really touching with this story. So, 
I feel like this isn't even like, you know, we're about to get some Joker. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't feel like like we needed it here. But maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong in future issues of this event. But, um, yeah, it felt weirdly tacked on and weirdly anticlimactic, especially with the whole, like, uh, it's all, it's all a cruel joke. Like, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Joker, we get it. You see the world as a cruel joke, right? Like, every, you know, that's, that's your character. We got that, you know, <laughs> like it's not edgy to say that Batman keeping this mystery going is a cruel joke. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think just, it, it would have been, it would have been much more satisfying and, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I feel like we've just there was this. So if you, if you guys recall, at the end of uh, Detective Comics number one on the New Fifty Two, Joker has his face cut off, right? And then that sort of put a stop to Joker stories for about a year, and there was this sort of noticeable lack of Joker. And when Joker came back, a lot of people made a big deal about like, oh, we're finally getting the Joker back. And I remember feeling like, it's only been a year. Like, that's that's nothing for so many characters. And I feel like ever since then, the Joker has had to show up contractually, like, you know, twice a month. And I, I just think the Joker's a bit overplayed right now. And this would have been, like, if he was keeping Black Adam in there, holy shit, I'd have gone crazy. Or he was keeping any other, like, sort of great DC villain we haven't seen in a long time. That would have got me really excited. But seeing the Joker again just kind of, you know, fell a little flat for me. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Like, even the reveal of, like, the, uh, what did you say, the tuning fork, the animator yeah. stuff. Like, that was, like, more exciting to me than, like, we just got, I felt like all of Snyder's run was this already. Exactly. Yeah. But, but that said, I, I think that this was way more fun and exciting than I thought it was going to be, and probably a better lead-in to an event than... D- I mean, DC, just when they do books like this, like this is this reminded me of the DC Universe Rebirth book, or, oh, the, amazing, yeah. uh, or the free comic book day uh, Trinity War issue from years ago that wound up being almost all like reduced to nothing before the actual event came out. But we're just every panel asked a new question and there's all this intrigue and all that. I, I love that stuff. And so this did a very good job of that. If I'm, if I'm nitpicking about the Joker stuff, I'm sorry, but you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this all the way, all the way up to the end, but yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to dive now into the two uh, Looney Tunes DC books that came out this week. <laughs> The Legion of Superheroes, Bugs Bunny is up first, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by Tom Grummet, and uh, I have a feeling we're going to have some differing opinions about this, so Kyle, you're our guest, what do you think of this? Uh, uh, I didn't particularly enjoy it, um, I mean, I don't know, it was alright, I, I, any of these ones, um... I haven't been impressed with a, one of the crossovers yet, so I don't know. I would like to hear your uh, thoughts, because I don't, I don't have much to well, say. Well, Vince, what did you think? Um, yeah, I, I actually, 
I actually really enjoyed these. Um, I don't... I mean... I think I enjoyed them from a very ironic distance. Uh, like, the Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny one in particular... I'm kind of a su- I'm kind of a sucker for the Looney Tunes, okay? Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I appreciate that they're even doing this. And then... And then the Legion of Superheroes one in particular had its tongue so far in its cheek as far as, like, um, in jokes about how melodramatic the book was or uh, what did Brainiac 5 keep saying? Enough with the angst. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of in, I, lots of in jokes about... Uh, the editor's story, notes. Editor's notes. Um uh, stories from Legion's past, homages to famous moments from DC Comics, or comic covers, things like that. Um, it was all very corny, but I kind of like corny sometimes. And, you know, the, the, these worked a lot better for me than the Hanna-Barbera ones because these embraced what both properties are at their cores. Quite literally, like, both of these issues featured backups that were more like the, the Looney Tunes crossing over than the comic itself. And then you would you could argue that the, the upfront stories were more like the comics. Or, I guess maybe that's backwards. That's backwards for the Legion of Superheroes one. The backup felt more like a... A Legion story. Class, classic Legion comic the backup for the Martian Manhunter one felt more like a cartoon. Yes. So they were, they were reversed. But regardless, the idea was one of the stories was more like the comic. The other story was more like the cartoon, even though they were telling very similar stories. Um, and, you know, for, for one month of these, especially spread out over a whole month and not in one week, I think I'm going to kind of dig this. Um, especially the Legion of... The Legion one was was very funny to me. Um, I guess it was just what I needed at the time because, uh, you know, DC can be thought of as an overly serious uh, publisher as far as their their mainline books is concerned. And so to see the Legion playing around with bugs and to see bugs dressing dressing like a lady <laughs> and things playing doing his old classic schemes, you know. Uh, <laughs> I kind of fell for it. I, I think I, I, I fall like squarely in between you guys on this. A lot of the Legion stuff did make me laugh. I liked all the, the angsty stuff. I felt like it was very true to... Uh, okay, so I'm trying to, I've been trying to think of how to explain this for a couple hours, now. I think I'll come up with it. To me, this is a Legion comic... That is to that is written the way people read Legion comics, like it's in in no Legion comic would anybody ever act the way the characters here act, but they act as we perceive them to be acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's if there's a positive that I got out of this, and even when we talk about Martian Man, like both seem to fit together, like. It feels like Legion is in that voice, same as Bugs, and then in Martian. Like I felt like Martian, like they sounded like each other. So if you're coming to it as a fan of either, I feel like they capture the tone well. 
So maybe that was my issue is just like Legion and Bugs is the mix didn't work for me, but it didn't neither felt like it was kind of forcing its hand on each other. Right. And the, and it's a very good observation uh, about the the issue in general. But yeah, I thought it was fun. I'm uh I'm really interested as to why DC feels like now is the time to cross over these characters with all these different properties because you realize like right now we had just a, like Vince mentioned you know a month or so ago we had the Hanna-Barbera annuals with the DC characters. Right now we're in the middle of Power Rangers Justice League. We have these uh, crossover issues right now. I wonder why DC is realizing all of a sudden, hey, we can be crossing over with all these different properties. Isn't there? There's still like Green Lantern and Apes going on too, right? And Green Lantern and Star Trek. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of weird. I think it's smart on DC's part, but I don't. I don't really know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's utilizing these characters for the icons that they are. You know. I feel like, again, one of the differences between DC and Marvel is that, I mean, this this isn't strictly true if you're able to just suspend disbelief, you know, but like, I feel like Marvel is such an interconnected universe that's meant to feel, uh, some, they, they, people always say that Marvel is meant to feel like the, the world we know was populated with superheroes, whereas DC is meant to feel like these are icons or gods or, you know, living legends running around, and they're not necessarily uh, part of our world. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so then to, like, like I feel like those, I feel like the DC characters much more easily cross over into all these different properties and play as their base uh, tropes you know, mm-hmm. up against whatever property they're crossing over with. And now Marvel certainly could do that, but traditionally they just haven't been interested in that angle as much, I don't think. You know, you you, you hardly ever see it unless, uh, my you know, my mind is, at least recently, I can't think of. The yeah, last oh. one I remember is like the New Avengers Transformers. It's like. Oh, God, I don't yeah. even remember that. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was. That had to be like years. yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it had to be like two in early two thousands or mid two thousands. Like, was that like Bendis New Avengers? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. It was probably around the time uh, Bucky took over as Cap. So I remember specifically buying issues around that time. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Actually, it wasn't good. But <laughs> uh, and you would think, especially because Disney owns marvel that you would think that there'd be a desire oh it's gonna happen it is gonna happen eventually but i I think it'll actually happen first with star wars which is gonna bother me (laughs) Uh, but i think that'll eventually happen too yeah Uh, but yeah it's only a matter of time before like kingdom hearts is gonna have like disney characters and marvel and star wars characters running around with these goofy uh final fantasy like characters yeah yeah, I, I concur. Uh, let's just let's hop right over to and hop uh, with unintentional bunny pun to uh, Marvin the Martian and Martian Manhunter, written by Steve Orlando and Frank Barbieri, and illustrated by uh, Aaron Lepresti and uh, who else? There was another penciler on this, right? Uh, if there was, I didn't write it down. No, there They're... was not. That's it. Okay. 
the backup was obviously somebody else, but um, right, yeah, I didn't write it down. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this was certainly not the the chuckle fest that <laughs> Legion Bugs was. Although there was a fair amount of Marvin the Martian sort of specific humor in this. Uh, Vince, why don't you start? What'd you think of this issue? Did you enjoy this? Well, let's start this way. Did you enjoy this more or less than the Legion Bugs issue? Um. Less, but I still thought it was fun. It um, th- there was less comedy, and so I thought like I want a I want Martian Manhunter to be around in the DCU because he's one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. that they have. Um, so I'll take him any way I can get him. But you know, I want him in. I'd love him in Rebirth rather than having him his first appearance being with a Looney Tunes character. But. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of Marvin the Martian too, as far as Looney Tunes goes. And I read I read this entire issue in in Marvin's voice, and so um, so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> and and you know I I thought it was fine. It, it, it's it's not earth shattering this one, and it wasn't as funny, but but still enjoyable to me somehow. I don't know. I I love the Looney Tunes. What can I say? No, I, I like I... I like Space Jam, and that's a bad movie. So. <laughs> No, it's not a. That's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> ah, maybe you're right. Is this a safe space for me to admit I've never seen all of Space Jam? What the, f- Brian? What? Stop the podcast right now. I was like just too old when it came out, and I have, I have, I've seen bits and pieces on TV, but I've never sat through the whole thing. That's that's not true or possible because you're never too old. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Just throw down. Uh, I I this one wasn't like as fun obviously as the other one and it was kind of a uneventful story except for the end I thought it was like pretty brilliant um, like having uh, Marvin destroy the world and like I, well he was like so what Martian like put like this idea in his head right and he's just like perpetually thinking about it yeah he essentially traps him in this in this idea yeah and then then to have like uh manhunter like kind of like yearn for for mars at the end and like this other martian that he encountered like he had to do that too it was kind of like almost depressing kind of end to this story which was again not like you said not earth shedding nothing really happened um and bugs was a lot more fun and um played to both universes but i kind of enjoyed the end like in the last like five pages i thought were fairly interesting yeah i i think that this again like this this should not work on paper right yeah these both should be terrible yeah and the fact that they were that they were the fact they found interesting angles to take this just it's amazing to me Right now, that and this is a little bit like you know, I'm a big baseball fan, and you see, like if a baseball team is doing well, it just seems that like they can't make mistakes at a certain point. Like everything just falls into their lap, and I feel like not that DC is doing nothing wrong right now. I just feel like the chances that DC is taking when it does go out there and take a chance, it's just been working lately, and I can't believe that this is working. I can't believe that they gave the writers enough leeway to say, "How do we make this work?" You know, we're gonna have. Looney Tunes characters and DC characters cross over. And Sam Humphreys was like, I know how to do that. I'm going to put Bugs Bunny in the Legion of Superheroes. You know, I just, I don't, I can't believe that they took the chance and I can't believe the chance worked. 
And I, I also like, and this is something I like that Marvel does, but I feel like they do it and then they never follow up, is I enjoyed seeing Sam Humphreys on a book, and I also enjoyed seeing uh, Barbary on a book. Um, like, obviously, Orlando is kind of in that uh, DC stable now, but uh, we haven't really seen Barbary do a lot, and uh, he's someone I like a lot. And I think Marvel, we see a lot of these like tie-ins where they'll throw on some of the in- more indie creators uh, but you don't really see DC do that, so I enjoyed seeing those two on this title, and both, like you said, both working for what they were. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's interesting how DC and Marvel every now and then just like swap talent, you know. And I feel like, uh, especially uh, Sam Humphreys was a guy who I, I completely associated with Marvel, and they just stopped using him, and he went over to DC, and now he's doing way more at DC than than I think maybe he should be. <laughs> I, I don't think his Green Lantern stuff has been great, but but still, I'm glad that it's not Dan Jurgens again. Right. Well, it's like the, uh, I mean, to go back, like, they, I felt like they had a real chance with all those Convergence books, and they didn't, like, take any new talent for those things. Um, That's true. So this type of stuff was cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add about these books? No. No. One issue's enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the next one that comes out is uh let's see. If I remember correctly. Uh I now I can't find it. Oh well. It'll be interesting. Maybe. Alright. Uh that brings us to Action Comics number nine hundred and eighty one. I I it's funny, I oftentimes forget how close we are to getting to a thousand issues of Action Comics and how I hope that DC celebrates that as hugely as they should. Because that, that's a pretty huge deal. Uh, aside from 2080, I don't know if any, if any Western comic has reached uh, a thousand yet. Has it? I can't think of anyone that would be close or going the way action has. Yeah. Um, anyway, this issue was written by the aforementioned Dan Jurgens, uh, illustrated by who did this issue? Um, oh, Jack Herbert. Yeah. It was good Which, to see some Jack Herbert art. I like him. I do too. Is he? Has he been like? Where's he been? I don't know. That's a good question. Ah, okay. Anyway, yeah, he's very good faces. Lots of good expressions in this one. <laughs> Some of them a little goofy, but like in an enjoyable. Like the, you, you know exactly what they're conveying. There's no, there's no doubt. Yeah. Like some of the general Zod faces that he <laughs> makes. It's, it's oh, good. Zod face. <laughs> um. Want to see my Zod face? <laughs> yeah. So I have a general. <laughs> I'm not saying general Zod. I have a com a general comment about Zod. We need to get over the fucking Neil before Zod thing. <laughs> like everybody brings that up all the time. It's played out. Let's move on. Yeah, they do it in the other issue. That yeah, we're gonna talk about it, the... in Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. They do it in this one too. I think. I I don't remember I don't know if they do but I wouldn't put it past Jurgens because 
There's nothing he loves more than a reference to something old. <laughs> so here's the thing. I rant by pretty much bi-weekly about this comic and how bad it is. But I, I didn't think that this issue was... This issue was not egregiously terrible in the way that, like, the last several have been. Um, but it's still... Oh, man, it's still just so overwritten. Like, everybody has to be yelling their motivations or like you Zod has to make sure that everyone around him knows at all times that he's not actually going along with the plan for any other reason than his own uh, bettering himself. You know, like I feel like he had to yell out like 10 times, like, okay, I'm only doing this for myself though. <laughs> you know, like, like we get it, you know, like Jurgens is Jurgens is so he just beats you over the head with everything. And my favorite line from the comic was Amanda Waller yelling, you may have to choose between killing or letting someone you love die. What will you do? <laughs> she yells that at Superman as he's flying away, which is like the biggest Chekhov's gun. Like, okay, great. That means Jurgens is sometime soon going to kill someone Superman loves or else Superman has to kill somebody. Like that is something that's definitely coming now. And it's just going to be him versus Zod from Snyder's Man of Steel all over again. Oh, I hope you're wrong, but you're probably right. <laughs> just saying, like, I see that coming a mile away now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoy or the thought of, like, all of these essentially, like, Superman archetypes taking on Superman is an interesting idea or concept that I like. Um, but like you guys have said, and obviously first time doing a show with Jurgens, I don't, I, I wish he would never write fucking John. It's like an insult to Tomasi. And <laughs> yep. like they write him, he writes him like he's a fucking five-year-old and it drives me insane <laughs> because like Tomasi and then super sons, it's so fucking good. And like, anytime he touches him, I was like, don't can we just get like a don't use him just forget he exists like please or lois like it's insane you're, and, you're and, absolutely right oh my god yeah. and and i hate i i did not like the last page but that's i don't know like are we, we're spoiler spoilers yes oh yeah. yeah so he's blind like okay i don't i don't fucking get it like i don't care <laughs> i don't understand why that's a big deal but i don't know yeah, it's a cool him. concept. It's a cool like I like the idea of him fighting all of these other types of Supermans. Like obviously the problem with Superman is always like what do you put him up against? So you have this like group of Supermans versus him is cool and it's just fumbled so far. But. Yep. So I uh for the site I've been doing a periodic reread of a bunch of the old Death of Superman stuff, and I just read the first appearances of both the Eradicator, like in in the uh, Man of Tomorrow guys and the Cyborg Superman, and right. those books are not subtle at all. Like you know, the, the the Death and Return of Superman is is many things subtle. It is not, but each of those characters had a really interesting sort of. Um, like the, there was there was an interesting tether to Superman for each of them. Like the Eradicator is essentially a uh, somebody who's just was obsessed with justice 
And so his version of justice is very different than Superman's version of justice, but there's a sort of intellectual purity there. Uh, the Cyborg Superman is a, a grotesque, funhouse mirror version of Superman in just about every way. And But there, there's some there's some depth to those characters. And I feel like in Jurgen's hands here, they are just so boring. They are just like mustache-twirling villains that want to stop Superman from doing insert thing here at insert this thing insert thing time because insert reason like there's just there's no depth to these characters whatsoever they're just filling a quota of some sort and like you said kyle like the idea of the superman analogs fighting against superman that's really fun but all jurgens does is reference the past and nothing new is going to come with any of these characters he just likes going back to the characters because I guess because he enjoyed writing them 25 years ago? I don't even really know, but it's right. kind of a bummer. And you get, like, one page of that as they're, like, all flying together. They all, like, go down the checklist of, like, why they hate Superman. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay, never mind. Like, we're good. How <laughs> is... I just bought that uh, Death of uh, Superman on the bus. How was, like, the reread? Because I haven't dug into it yet. Oh, okay. We got to have you back on the show when you reread that. Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous because I remember like loving it as a kid, but I also like loved Power Rangers as a kid, and that shows like garbage when I watch it with my kid now. So I'm very worried. Uh, I will say this: the um, the big moments in that book still really work. Like the issue where Superman actually dies is I had totally forgotten this is done entirely in splash pages. There's no panels in the whole book. Like, every page is just a, a splash. And that sounds really cheesy, but it totally works. And the emotion right. of seeing Lois, like, watch Clark die totally works. And uh, I, I just reviewed... I, I've been doing the trades, but I just reviewed the um, the first four uh, appearances of... Like, the first appearance of each of the four Sir Superman... And the Steel stuff really worked for me. And I forgot how much I enjoyed that original Steel incarnation. So a, a good chunk of it still does work. But there, some of it does not age all that well. I, I will warn you about that. We'll see. Well, it's better than this, probably. Yes, it is. I can, I can say that with certainty. <laughs> it is better than this. Uh, any other action thoughts, gentlemen? Mm, no. No. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 11, written by the Bensons, illustrated by Rose Antonio. Uh, this is, I feel like this storyline has been going on forever. Somehow they, <laughs> they said this is part two, I think? I'm sorry, it was part, part one of a new arc, but it, it's been going on forever. Um, I'm just not a fan of what this book has become. But this was... Maybe the best issue so far? It certainly wasn't the worst issue so far. <laughs> That's about all I got. <laughs> I yeah. Haven't, oh, I haven't... This is one... Like, obviously doing this, uh, I've read everything, but I haven't read any of this outside of the first issue. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. As a standalone, for me, I guess, it was interesting, but it did feel very much like a... A who done it and just like checked off the boxes like of oh this is what I was really doing to help you guys but so 
So I don't know. I thought I didn't know if that was like a cool thing, but it doesn't sound like it. If it wasn't, I don't know. It just felt to me like it was. Uh, one of my problems with how the Bensons have been writing this book is I feel like they don't show anything; they just tell everything. Mm. And this whole issue is just here's information you need to know to move forward. Vince, what do you think? Yeah, I yes, I, I agree with that. Um, I thought. So I'm of two minds on this particular issue because you're right. This new Oracle stuff feels like it's been going on forever. And I think we were just waiting for the hero turn. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think I think we knew all along they weren't going to make him the actual bad guy, you know. Um, But I felt like. I felt I feel like his character is just ripped off of like. Um. The, like any modern hacker story, you know. Yeah. I feel like I feel like his character is pretty generic, and I was hoping I was hoping for a little more from him. Um, I'm certainly like I'm totally down with for him being in the Oracle role for like the foreseeable future. Like I, I feel like a good way to deal with with Babs not being Oracle anymore is to have a different person filling that role, and I think it's fine if it's him. Um, He's just not all that interesting. Um, I guess the the bipolar angle is um, interesting if they actually do anything with it. Um, but I, I also just felt like that was revealed in a very corny way too. Yeah, like but, you expected him to say, "I have bipolar disorder." Bum bum bum. <laughs> like you know. Well, but we and we already kind of knew that because for the last like three or four issues, he's been like. I got. I need my meds, but the, the you know the bad guy is taking them away from me or whatever. You know they're withholding meds from him. You know, so it was it was revealed to the to the birds of prey, but not to us. You know. Yeah. Um. Calculator. The calculator stuff is an interesting angle. We haven't seen calculator in a while, and now he's like the he's like the real villain who like took Oracle in, and now he's coming to the birds of prey for help. He's he's kind of like homeless dad from Arrested Development. He just, just wants, wants his, his kids, kids back. back. Yeah, yeah, and um, that and... has to be a part of the DC three cast drinking game <laughs> now. That comes up almost every week. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and now Catwoman's uh, roped into this too, which is interesting because um, she's getting engaged in the, in the regular <laughs> Batman book and like. What's she doing in this book right now? You know, so. Um, Do you think they're gonna throw her a shower? Maybe, but. Um, well, she was had a diamond at the end, so maybe she wanted a bigger one. Oh, oh there we go. That like was it. Bigger. Um, women be shopping, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's problematic. Um, uh, no, but uh, but um, it, this book is like so. Oh man, I. I like Roge Antonio's art. I like it a lot. I like this team. The Bensons just don't quite write them. It's like you said, Brian. They're they're telling and not showing, and so the storytelling doesn't pop as much as it should. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is so close to being a fine street level type book. Yet the 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 weak storytelling is holding it back a little bit. I wish it could cut loose a little more. Yeah, I agree. I actually think that it's, it's interesting that we're reading this right after reading 
action comics, I feel like some of the similar problems about the type of storytelling could be shared across those two books. Which, sorry, you kind of cut out. What oh, sorry, between uh, this and action. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like stilted storytelling that is over-explained instead of just being shown. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, obviously this is the only issue I've read. Um, but like, if you're telling me, like, as a reader, you already knew all of these things. Like, to me, it was interesting because I thought this was like a big reveal. Mm, right. I mean, even then, it wasn't like super, like, interesting overall, but like... If you guys already knew he was like bipolar taking met like then this is like way over explained. Like I thought it was like a big like end of clue <laughs> like ending, but yeah, I don't know. It was like, and then that I mean that's the whole thing, like they tell him he's like or he says he's bipolar and he's like so shaken up they gotta like help him up. That was really corny. But, yeah. I yeah, I I think that there there are the building blocks here for an interesting series. But in the hands of this creative team, I don't see that interesting series really coming uh, about. Art's really nice. Yeah, like Rose Antonio is good. Uh, uh, one of the things I've meant to talk about on the show, actually, is I feel like DC, during the New 52, had just the most garbage art all the time. And I feel like over the last couple of years, but especially since Rebirth... Their 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 floor has come up a lot. There is not the bad as much bad art as there used to be. There's actually, I think there's a lot of really good artists working for DC right now. Yeah, yeah. It's the style has expanded past what they usually have. I think. Yes, that helps as well. Uh, that brings us to Bug: The Adventures of Forager, number two by the All Reds. Uh, this issue sees. Uh, Bug show up in World War II with the Golden Age Blue Beetle and uh, Sandman and the Losers and uh, a lot of fun sort of stuff from DC history. Now, Vince, I know you weren't the biggest fan of the first issue of the series. What did you think of this issue? Yeah, I like I like this book now. It's, um, <laughs> it's good again? It's good again. Oh, um. I just had to, like, come around to its – I had to get on its wavelength, I guess, because it's very – this is a very loose book as far as storytelling is concerned. Everything kind of floats from one situation to another, and it's very jokey. These characters are, like, cracking jokes about the dangerous situation that they're in and and taking kind of everything – every every crazy oddball situation they come across like in total stride. And so you just have to kind of get on this wavelength with the book. And then I think it really works. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like I, I love all the little details. I love the way that, that all red draws all the characters, but particularly like Sandman and blue beetle just look amazing in this. Um, the losers look awesome. I love the uh, the fake comic. Like, everybody thinks they know Bug from somewhere, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, he's the, he's the Red Bee from from <laughs> Hit Comics," you know. And they show you like the fake comic cover, and <laughs> and he like doesn't even really dispute it. He's just yeah. kind of like, "Yeah, that's me. Yep, you got it." And um, yeah, it's, it's it's this is a lot of fun. This is the loot. This is like the loose 
experimental comic that that I think DC should do a little more of in their in their main line. But yeah, I've come around on it. Okay, Kyle. Good. Yeah, I think uh, on the first issue, I might be where you were, Vince. I think it was like a little. It was almost like weird to be weird in the sense yeah. like I, it was really loose, especially. My last experience was Comic Odyssey, like, I think most. So coming off that and even that reference, um, and I mean, I knew I was going into with it, but it was, like, really hard to follow, and not in a sense that I was, like, particularly enjoying, but this was, like, a more focused, crazy, all-red team, like, that we get. I like this a lot more. Like, this was, like I said, I'm on board for this, and I think if that was the introductory issue and, like, this is what we're going to get, like, this is going to be a really great series. Yeah. Uh, if I ever explained to either of you my theory about how artists only draw people that look like themselves. <laughs> that's that's all read to a T. Yeah, like right. it, when Bug takes his mask off, it's like, oh, it's Mike Allred. Okay, cool. Yeah, like, but, it's also, but it's also uh, uh, Frank Einstein. Yeah, and... it's, it's Mad Men and it's... Uh... And it's the guy from Art Ops and every other book all right. Yeah, and it's it's Silver Surfer when yep. he becomes the humanoid. Yeah. And and you know what? They're all handsome. So. Absolutely. They're uh, no, I I think I think that Mike Allred's a, a national treasure. Nay, an international treasure. <laughs> and uh the fact that DC is just letting him run wild right now is is amazing. Uh we had Mike Allred on the Hour Cosmic, my old multiversity show right before he was announced as the artist on Silver Surfer, and he he sort of made... this was It was off the air, and he didn't come out and say anything, but he said basically that he'd pitched DC a bunch of, like, out-there projects, and at that point, DC was not interested in that stuff. So he was going over to Marvel because he felt like Marvel was... Like, Marvel was letting him do this big, crazy Silver Surfer story. And I feel like DC is now in such a different place than it was in 2013 or 2014, whenever it was. And now they're letting him do this. I mean, in July, he has three different DC comics coming out. He has the issue of this. He has the Batman 66 meets Legion of Superheroes comic. And he has the um, issue of Doom Patrol that he did. Like, those are three very all-red, very different things. There's still, I mean, they're still non-mainline for the most part, though. I mean... I mean, the Young Animals line, the best thing about it has been this, like, freedom to have, like, different art and writing on it. Um, right. So, I mean, the, I would like to see him do a mainline story, but I don't know. Like, I they agree still with don't, that. They, they still seem to be very protective of that regular, like, DC stuff. I, um, my dream is to have a uh, Jeff Parker-written Doc Shaner and Mike Allred uh, alternating arcs on a Shazam book. Oh, that would be amazing. Like that's, that's, that's my dream in life. So one day when I assume the skin of Dan DiDio and uh, show up at the DC offices, it's the first thing I'm pitching. Need more Shazam. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, let's move along here. Uh, what is next? We got Detective Comics number 958. This was a really interesting issue uh, for me. We get um, 
Well, first of all, it was uh, written by James Tynan IV, and it was illustrated by... I don't know if I have these notes in front of me. Alvaro, Alvaro Martinez. Alvaro Martinez, the great Alvaro Martinez, who's been doing such good work on Detective uh, since it relaunched. And uh, he, he's been doing great work, especially with the two... Uh, almost the entire books in two-page spreads, uh, which, is, which is something I'm not typically a fan of, but I think he does a really nice job with it here. Um, there was a super great scene of... Clayface and Cass doing uh, doing Shakespeare. Right. I really enjoyed that. Um, what did you guys think of the issue? Kyle, go ahead. Um, I really liked it. I had fallen behind on Detective, and someone had told me uh, it had been good, so I had caught up on it. And it's actually been a really good team book, like more so than uh, I've seen it. There's like a lot of moving parts in Detective, and I think they handle it really well. Um, and this one particularly, I thought um, having those Bruce with Penguin, um, and then obviously what we get with Azrael, uh, and then like stuff like it's really touching moments. Like you said, the with Cass, like it was only a one, two page thing, and like that was a standout. Even the basketball scene like wasn't really needed to be had, but I thought like for team building stuff like they do an excellent job of that in this series yeah and they made me care like i was not really a fan of the uh luke fox batwing but i feel like he fits in really well with the team the way he's being used right now and i like that the book you know it's funny that one of the things that batman comics have been trying to do for years is to give batman a a family and to, to many ways Batman's had a family you know for a long time but this book really feels like a lot of characters that are similar to Batman more so than the characters who have been his family for years are like you know Dick Grayson what, what makes Dick and Bruce such a great pair is that Dick is nothing like Bruce right but I think that Kate Kane is kind of like Bruce and I think that you know Clayface and Asriel are are kind of peas in a pod to a certain degree, and Cassie is Cassie. Just you know, she's her own thing. I, I just feel like it's it, it's a collection of people that shouldn't work well together, but Tynan has done such a great job making them feel like a natural team. I, I'm I'm really loving this book. Vince, what do you think? Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh man, the scene with Cass and Clayface like practicing acting. How perfect was that scene? Uh, I think it's really interesting that Cass is becoming this, um, like, slyly becoming this very, like, artistic, you know, she she was into, like, the ballet, and now she's practicing, like, play acting, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really nice character touch for somebody who, if you were to just describe how this character has traditionally been presented, it's like the, the cold loner that doesn't talk a whole lot right and this this run with her is giving her such depth you know yeah um whether it's the way that she forms relationships with her teammates or just the way that her interests manifest in the comic it's a it's a really really unique uh way to see a character unfold who for a while it looked like we were you know We've we'd seen all the stories we were ever going to see from her, you know. Um, so that's really interesting how she's come to the forefront. Um, 
And the stuff, just, I love how there's the ability to let a couple of teammates watch a, a basketball team blow a three to one lead, uh, which is what they were doing, <laughs> uh, in the, in the early moments of this comic. Um, you know, just, just letting them hang out and kind of, kind of be human, which is again, a, a theme of rebirth that, that shows up again. Um, this was a really nice issue. And, and now, and now Azrael is kind of at the front of things. So this book is becoming, we, we talk about how Batman himself has taken a backseat. And I think, I think that the Batman comics are at their best when they're really focusing on his supporting cast and they're really coming around again for me between this and like Batgirl's solo title. Um, Nightwing. Nightwing. Yeah. 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 And everything Damien's doing. Um, I have a question though. On the very first page, uh, X Machina is spelled out in blood. Is that supposed to be like the subtitle of the issue, which is almost unreadable? Yes, I or, believe it is. Okay, or is that like some weird art hint for something going for it? Because it was, I had to sit and stare at that to figure out what it said. Because it's so like, no, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's not overtly done. It's not like where something is obviously spelled out. You know, you have to. It trails off at the end, so you kind of have to like figure out what it said and so i wasn't sure if that was like a story clue or if it was merely the subtitle of the issue no it's a subtitle okay Uh, why's the bat signal in the sky so just always there now (laughs) it's always yeah they just leave it on generally gonna need you at some point (laughs) yeah exactly uh do you guys think it is it just inevitable until clayface turns on the team I hope not. I, I hope not either. It's funny because I think it'll be a great story, but I never want to read that story. I really like Clayface in this role, right? And especially, I mean, like we—I mean, we talked about how great this scene with Cass is, but it's—it's it's again using like a cool character-building moment for him because he used to be an actor, right? I mean, we yeah. touched on that a few times in the series. So, like, having that was a really like kind of cool touch for him again, like having that thing he can share with her yeah i don't know i hope they don't but i i feel like at some point they can i mean he's 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 too famous of a villain i don't know how they would get around that forever i feel it's gonna be like that rhino issue of spider-man like way back where they finally break him yeah um i was gonna say like remember geez this has to be at least 10 years ago if not more when the Riddler was kind of like a tween character for a while, where where he was like he was helping out Batman now and then, wasn't that like one year later maybe? Yeah, he was he was like he had an arc where he helped out uh, the Gotham City Sirens too. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that was yeah that was like mid two thousands. But I feel like there's there's a shelf life to that, whereas this feels like this could be a permanent change. He certainly doesn't need. I mean, he can he can lose a rogue. That's totally. He's got enough <laughs> yeah, of them. That is true. Right. I mean, we get a new. Is this is this person new? I think so. Um, which which I, I mean, I love anything uh, this Azrael villain. This. Uh, oh, Ascalon. Yeah. Yeah, that's a new. Yep. Yeah, and I'm I'm always for like anything where like you have like a reckoning 
Like, I thought that shit was great. Yeah. Yeah. This book's been uh, really solid. Zatanna. Yeah, I never made it as a Tana appearance either. Yeah. Always fashionable. It's such a good entrance. For yeah. no reason. Absolutely. You know what, guys? Let's take a quick break here in the show. And we'll be back in just a minute with more DC Freecast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's Epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Right, that brings us to uh, How Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 22, written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Ethan Van Skyver. Ugh, Ethan Van Skyver. <laughs> he drew an entire planet of Zippy the Pinheads. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did not notice that, no. Are you familiar with Zippy the Pinhead? Uh, of course I am, yes. Okay. Uh, what other page is this on? Uh, it's very early on. It's that like new Planet of Aliens he shows. Let me see here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay. This is a weird issue. Um, I feel like this and, and Sam Humphrey's Green Lantern title... Keep like keep alternating issues that make me think that the comic could be turning it around, and then immediately following them up with issues that make me go, "No, it's the same as it ever was." <laughs> yeah, um, Kyle, are you reading this book currently or no? Yeah, this is actually one out of rebirth. I was really enjoying a lot, um, and uh, I feel like the last like five issues have gone off the rails, um, and I don't, I, I don't particularly know like how we got to this in this issue. Like it felt really weird. Um, I don't know. It's been slowly declining for me, and I don't. I did concept of having these two um, cores team up, and I don't feel like they've utilized that at all since since like. That's been taking this is space pirates. Like I don't know. It felt really like a weird issue for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. They haven't been utilized. Like they they brought them together, and basically the only time you ever really see them together is when they're like sparring or train. Like there's been very little like actually working together. Yeah, that Guy Gardner issue was so fucking good, and then then they were like, all right, we're good, and then they don't even like really. Like, that's, it's such a, like, these two people have been at war for, like, ever, it feels like, since John's run, and, like, all of a sudden they're just working. There's no conflict, there's no, <laughs> like, look into, like, what this is actually like. I just feel like it's been really, like, in the background of what could be cool. Uh-huh. I also feel like one of the things that's so much fun about a Lantern book is that because the the ring is powered on willpower anything is possible 
And I think it will be really interesting to see both cores come up against, like, basically disproving that fact that, like, no, there is, there are things that the Green Lantern ring can't do, but the Sinestro ring can, and vice versa. Showing them, showing the difference in power set between the rings, showing difference in approach between how they wield the rings. Like, there's so much interesting story that could be happening here, but it's not at all. Especially because they've, they've just taken the backseat to like the Green Lanterns. Like there's at one point where like how Jordan just like calls out like, no, this is how we do it as Green Lanterns. Like, all right, we're all Green Lanterns now, I guess. Like, fuck. Like, but like you said, the the rings don't work that way. Like, how does that work? Where we're just like accepting that as the willpower is not the same as like uh, being powered by fear. It seems weird. Right. Yeah. I I am, I am thoroughly not a uh, a fan of Ethan Van Skyver's work. It's just so posed. Like every every panel here to me is just so over overdone. Um, like I love the idea of Kyle Rayner being do, like drawing in his spare time as a Green Lantern, but this is the worst possible drawing of Green Lantern, of Kyle Rayner, like sitting with an easel under a tree with flowers all around him. It's just so, it's so over the top. Ethan Van Skyver and like David Finch are like what I picture when I think of like what I don't like about like like what you're talking about like with like the DC stable art like mm-hmm. those two are like who I don't want to see anymore of for for a while. Agreed. Agreed. All right, that brings us to Justice League of America number eight, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Felipe Wantanabe. Um this in this issue uh has like a, a weird commandy analog in it. Uh <laughs> but I thought was was an interesting discussion of the difference between the philosophies of the various team members. And uh I I enjoyed it. What'd you guys think of this issue? Kyle, what'd you think? Um again this is one where I just read the issue, so I was Maybe I was confused, so I didn't understand it. But I thought it was pretty cool. Like I, I instantly thought that as well as Kamini. And then to see how everyone on the team kind of took his like return. Like some people thought it was like great that he was adjusting. And then obviously you had like Batman instantly not trusting it. I thought it was a really cool look at a team that I didn't really know anything about. And I instantly kind of got their personalities when I didn't really know anything about them, or at least in this book, obviously I know mm-hmm. they have, but you kind of got really good characterization from Orlando right off the bat. Yeah. Vince, what'd you think? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'll just echo that. Um, uh, especially Batman. I love, I love the way that Orlando writes Batman because it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's very different from any other writer who's written him in a while where that, he he's not exactly a loner, but he's such a ruthlessly efficient hero detective character that that even though he's willing to work with people, he to get to where he's going, he looks past them and he he leaves them in his dust if he has to, you know. And that's a very subtle difference from how some some writers write him as just this like total loner, you know get out of my face, get out of my bat cave type, you know? And and Orlando puts that just subtle twist on him that, that he's not a loner. He believes in 
in other people and he believes in his friends and and family but he is ruthlessly efficient and if you're not on board with him he's going to he's going to walk by you you know but he smiles like he does smile you know orlando writes him as a a character that will smile that will take people in and believe like he believes in killer frost you know um and then did you notice that the the trouble alert is back which that's like a super friends thing yep i don't think that that's ever like i don't think i've ever heard that outside the super friends um so that's that's kind of cool um uh yeah this was really interesting i thought it was a very you know as soon as tell tell me if you know what i'm talking about like as soon as i saw that this this like commandy type character named max son is going to be the sort of central issue of this comic i kind of thought like oh god this is going to be something i'm not interested in at all and then like within a matter of pages orlando made me interested in it and it totally worked like him coming to uh civilization and having a man bond and like (laughs) you know assimilating uh in sort of the media celeb uh atmosphere you know um that totally all worked for me and it gave me gave me a hook into the character to really care about the the conflict that we're going to be seeing between him and his family and the civilization and um also, also Max stands for Warm Blood, apparently, which mm-hmm. is a, a really underrated Carly Rae Jepsen song. So <laughs> that, got, that got me into. Oh, you and your Jepsen bullshit! Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, Felipe Watanabe's art as well. I thought, oh, great. yeah, again, just like the the, the guy, he's, he's sort of a fill in on this book. But the average quality of a DC villain today is quite different than it was a few years ago, and I particularly liked his Lobo. Um, but uh, villain artist, I he he's not the the Ivan Reyes is the uh, the regular artist in the book. Oh, I would like Ivan Reyes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good book all around. I'm glad we can all agree on that. Uh, that brings us to New Superman number twelve, written by Gene Yang, illustrated by Billy Tan. Uh, this we get uh, Emperor Superman at the end of this issue, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Vince, you love this book. I'll let you start. I love it. I love it, and this just deepens my love for it. Um, I love that all of a sudden Wonder Woman is a giant green snake. Um, I love that. I love that page with the, it's one of the first pages and it shows like the six Buddhist realms that, uh, living beings sort of, uh, drift between during death and reincarnation. You know, um, I thought the, that Billy Tan really turned in a beautiful page. I mean, he's been doing great work, but that particular page is just gorgeous, a gorgeous way to present that idea. Um, in a mainstream comic book, just very cool. Um, yeah, this book continues to absolutely rock, rock hard, man. Uh, Kyle, have you read any of this book since the first issue? 
Uh, I have not, and I read this issue, and uh, I instantly think I'm going to read them all. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it honestly felt like, to me, um, Ultimate Spider-Man, like Miles Morales. I don't know if that's interesting. Even yeah, that's like yeah. Like he, he's obviously a, a super powered individual, but like seeing like this Emperor Superman fly around and then asking him like, "How come he can't fly?" Uh, I thought that shit was great. Um, and then I don't know who this like Chinese Batman is, but I instantly love him. Oh, he's the best. Like, yeah, he's also like I. Again, like as an issue, it was fun, but like I'm instantly interested in everything about this, and I'm gonna go back and read this. I thought it was fantastic, and this art is beautiful. Yeah, the, the, who did the first uh, arc, Vince? It was um, Victor Bogdanovic, right? Yeah, who's going to be on action pretty soon. Yeah, and that, that first arc had great art, but I think Billy Tan's doing a really nice job, too. Very different than Bogdanovic's art, but certainly uh, really, really nicely done. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it warms Vince's heart to no end to hear you want to read more of this book, because Vince loves this book. So is he actually like a Chinese Batman? Like, is this a? It's not part of like uh, old Batman Ink stuff, is it? No, no. Basically, uh, the Chinese government has decided to create its own Justice League. Oh my god! Okay, all right. <laughs> this sucks. This is so exciting for me. Yeah. Just... There's a great issue. Was it three issues ago, Vince? About how he became Batman? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. He's like a chunky Batman too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that comes up throughout the whole uh, sort of run. Oh really? Right. Yeah. It's definitely worth reading. It's it's one of those books that I think I did not love the first issue, and neither did Zach actually. And Vince kept telling us like, "You guys are wrong. You're going to come around on this eventually." And he was totally right. We we were, we were wrong. We came around to it. So. And this is a uh, this is something I saw like in the New Fifty Two where it was, like, different books, and they always kept getting, like, canceled that I really liked. Um, so I think I... Something I'm glad to see them keep doing, like, to this day, like, Dial H is one of my, like, all-time favorite books. And oh, you were speaking Vince's yeah. language right now. Yeah, and, like, that got canceled. And, like, so to see something like this or is completely kind of out there, at least for DC... I mean, I don't know how out there it is, but, like, an interesting, different character in it to be good, like, is exciting for me to hear that they're doing it. Yeah, awesome. Keep checking it out. It's good. Oh, Dial H. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's... We, so, someday we'll have a Dial H cast. We'll, we'll have you on. Yeah, I bought the, the oversized hardcover they put out. It's, mm. it's How is that? And, oh, it's nice. I mean, it's Dial H, man. It's like, it was like <laughs> one of the best things they did with the new 52 and they shit all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that brings us to Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 11, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy. Now, this is a book, Kyle, that I feel like if you had read the first arc of, you might have been like, oh, wow, here's a Scott Lobdell book that's not terrible. And then this arc happened. And it's considerably worse than the first arc. Uh, so I'm interested to hear what you thought just reading the single issue. Well, I have actually caught up on this book, and I really enjoyed the first arc, and then I have not liked this arc at all. So you're right on point. Like, 
everything they did with the characters, like, they have completely just shit on these people. Like, they've lost, like, anything that was, like, interesting about um, what they introduced with, the, like, this team, which was, like, really fantastic. Like, this has not been fun since. Man, it's, it's, it's nice to hear our opinions echoed back at us. Right, yeah, <laughs> you just want a sound chamber. That's, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I think you're right. I think that this issue... Like, to me, what's been so refreshing about this book has been how much I've enjoyed Bizarro in this book. So to see Bizarro have more of a role in this issue than he did in the last couple was a definite improvement over the last couple of issues. But there still isn't enough. I still don't give a shit about Artemis. And uh, I wish Jason Todd would stop talking. I feel like there needs to be one issue of Red Hood, of any book with the title Red Hood, that doesn't talk about him dying in it. Right. It's just a what worked about it, I think that first arc was like it got a little bit of each, but they weren't I mean that stand out obviously I think for me was um him about to shoot Bizarro and not and like that was such a great character moment and then it's just like reverted back to at least with Artemis and Red Hood, like they're very archetype characters and it's just not interesting. Yeah, and and Bizarro is getting such a short shrift at this point. It's fucking dead at the end. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And 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 this last arc has just committed the cardinal sin of being boring as hell. It's oh man. Can I can I give you guys my prediction as to what's going to happen here? Yeah, my prediction is that the twist is going to be that Bizarro's heart never beats. Oh my. So like his heart's not beating. He's like me heart no beat or something like that. That's gonna be. <laughs> Say that again. Me heart no beat. <laughs> That's gonna be my new ringtone. <laughs> Did I isolate that sound? Yeah. Whenever you send me a text. I can't imagine. I, I I'm imagining you working in a lab in a hospital in Minneapolis or is it St. Paul? Is it it's it's St. Paul. It's yeah. St. Paul, and everyone's doing work on important stuff, and you just hear me. I'm no heartbeat or whatever I fucking said. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you and you having to explain like, uh, oh, that's my friend doing a bizarro impression. This kid's not even listening to his heart. It's like the yeah. middle of his stomach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how the next issue is going to start. Jason. Move up nine inches. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> Jason's going to be like, you're you're listening to his stomach, my friend. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, hey, uh, rest in peace, Adam West. Yes. I, I just thought the words old chum in my head, and it made me think uh, we hadn't talked about that. Yes, bon voyage, pussy. <laughs> the best line <laughs> in cinematic history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can say it any better than that. <laughs> Thank you. Have, have, have either of you guys watched the pilot for Look Well? No, I've heard it's great though. Yeah, it's Brian the, Stack. No, it's uh, Conan O'Brien and um, Robert Smigel wrote a uh, a pilot based around the idea that so Adam West plays an actor who played a detective in the seventies, and then he decides to solve crimes by himself. Uh, and they made a pilot, and it was the lowest rated show on TV. It was the ninetieth out of ninety show in terms of ratings when NBC finally showed the pilot on TV in 1991 or two, but it's amazing. It's great. It's on YouTube. Everyone should check it out. 
anyway, that brings us to Suicide Squad number 19, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Neil Edwards. Uh, this is sort of, uh, Kyle mentioned this before, this is like the the sister piece to Action Comics. Um, somehow more unreadable than Action Comics. I uh, I really wish I knew what Rob Williams was trying to do in his Suicide Squad. Somebody. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you're waiting for an answer because I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't read Suicide Squad outside of like the first two issues. And I was like, oh, okay, like this, it will be interesting to me because I know what's going on in action. But it was the opposite. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what the team is. I don't know. It doesn't even feel like a team. And then just kill Rick Flag and it would be a big deal. But that's not. Like, He's not dead. He's, they're like, they're going to pull him out of the Phantom yeah. Zone in two issues. Yeah, but it was like it was like half a panel. He just like did it. And I was like, I don't know if he's doing it. So I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. I don't like that team on this. But I didn't enjoy this. Again, and like you said, with the, there's these three supermen could be interesting and it's not interesting in this again but anything to add Vince? Uh, no this comic blows um, <laughs> it's, it's really just um, I want it to be over I want this whole Suicide Squad thing to be over I don't want I want Suicide Squad back on the shelf for like five years and then for them to, I, I don't know. It's, oh, it's just so, it's so annoying. And how many times is a character going to, like, die or something in this very comic and then have it revealed to be not not real? And also, like, the the means to the end of that being completely, like, uninteresting and unimaginative. I feel like we are just, I feel like Rob Williams is just, shuffling the same like eight pieces around and not actually moving this comic anywhere. It's been, it's been 20 issues, including the, the rebirth issue, I think. And, and what has happened in this book? Killer Crocs thrown up a lot. Yeah. What, what have they accomplished though? Like what, like this is, it should be called circle jerk squad. <laughs> Cause that's, that's all this is. I'd buy that comic. God. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's like, I mean, people joked about, I guess, the movie. And it's like, I mean, you have people who are fairly underpowered taking on things that are outside of their power. Like, Croc's, like, response to these Kryptonian ghosts is he can't eat them. So he's useless. Like, get the fuck out of here at this <laughs> point. Like, Captain Boomerang. Like, this is a useless bunch of people. <laughs> Well put. Well put. Uh, that brings us to Supergirl number 10, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Brian Ching. This is the uh, the next part in the Batgirl guest arc where they are trapped in the Phantom Zone. Um, Kyle, are you currently reading Supergirl or no? Um, I'm not, and it's like the only one I didn't have open. I'll open it quick, so I don't know if you want to check with Vince. I did read it, though. Well, we'll go, I'll go to Vince first. And Vince, what did you think of this issue? Um, it it was fine, but I'm finding the particular like I'm not 
I guess I'm not really that interested in their adventures in the Phantom Zone and 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 this Selena, which is a character from Supergirl the movie, by the way, <laughs> um, which I've never seen. Um, oh, you're missing out. Maybe, yeah. You're not missing uh, out. It's fucking terrible. No, no. Uh, and 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 the thing, the great thing about Orlando is that I trust him to get me to care sometime soon. But it did. It didn't happen in this issue. I guess Brian Brian Ching's art looks really nice. Yeah, I really like Ching's art here. Um, I feel like this book has a lot of interesting ideas happening, but it's not coming together just yet for me. I like the Batgirl Supergirl dynamic a whole lot. I think that they're working well together. I uh, I feel like there's a there's a lot of possibility to do. Like, you know, uh, for a while there in the New 52, we were getting the world's finest when it was Huntress and Power Girl. But I would like to see more Supergirl, Batgirl stuff, and that's really good. I just think that the the Phantom Zone neutralizes both characters in a way where it makes it hard to write a great story about them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Kyle, do you have uh, anything else to add? No, I think that's a good point. Um, especially what's been so good about the Batgirl book is that, um, like, I don't want to say down to earth, but like having her in that world and kind of making her own, uh, especially like the wrestling stuff or was it wrestling or what was she doing? I can't remember. Kung Fu, whatever it was she was learning. Yeah. 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 Um, and then same with Supergirl. I mean, to take her, take both of these like characters out of the real world and throw them in the Phantom Zone. Um, it's kind of like underutilizing what makes them interesting, I think. Yeah. The art was good. I like the art. Yeah, Brian Ching is doing some nice work here. Um, that brings us to, I think, another book that Kyle mentioned he's not reading or didn't read, which is Superwoman number 11. Am I correct? You haven't read this since the first uh, issue? No, yeah, I did read this, but yeah, I haven't been reading it. Uh, this is another book. I, I think this arc has actually been a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But the first arc of Superwoman is really, really worth your time. If, you, if you're if you looking to go back and read anything, uh, the first arc by Phil Jimenez is really, really good. But this was written by Kay Perkins, illustrated by Jose Luis. And uh, this book is is sort of firmly establishing itself as the metropolis book that even though it's like it's a lana lang book it's really about metropolis uh you know all the different characters we get maggie sawyer we get atomic skull we get steel um so i'm really enjoying that part of it and i think that unfortunately in this issue the lana stuff was the least interesting stuff but that doesn't mean that it's a that the issue didn't work i just think that this gave everybody else some more interesting stuff to do. Uh, Vince, what'd you think of the issue? Yeah, uh, everything you just said. I'm I'm surprised. I'm actually. <sighs> I don't want to say I'm enjoying it more than when Phil Jimenez was writing it, um, but I'm appreciating. I'm appreciating. The the economy of the writing compared to those early issues, which were extremely, extremely wordy. Um, and I feel like, uh, I feel like this book is a lot, a lot less to digest every month. And 
I'm enjoying it just as much, kind of for the, for the way that Kay Perkins is is writing it so economically, and yet still including all those same elements that we that we enjoyed uh, about the Jimenez run. Yeah, so, I kind yeah, of. Yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah, I think what I mean, kind of what you echoed the the stuff with the not secondary characters, but the the family dynamic and like the metropolis like stuff was far more interesting than the last stuff. But like that's what I've enjoyed most so far about um, Rebirth, and then you guys have kind of touched on that a lot. Like a lot of the character stuff. Um, so I mean, if the first arc is kind of like that like i really enjoyed the interaction um throughout the book of this kind of group of people it's pretty interesting yeah i I think overall the super books haven't been this good in a very very long time and that's exciting uh all right that brings us to the flash we should have probably done this earlier in the show but my files are organized with under T for the as opposed to F for Flash. I will never stop kicking myself for that, so let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> Flash number 24, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by uh, the combination. This was a combo issue of uh, Carmine Di Giadomenico as well as Pop Mahan, or Mahan, I'm not really sure how that's pronounced. Um, but... This had a little bit of follow-up from the from the button and uh, just the idea of time travel and alternate histories and all that sort of thing. Uh, Kyle, are you reading the Flash currently? Um, I was. I read a little before the button to catch up for the button, and I read that uh-huh. uh, those issues. Um, so I'm a little bit caught up, but um, I. I the Flash seems to only fight the reverse Flash. I felt like I was caught up enough. Like, he's doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. he's always doing, I guess. Uh, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. Uh, but what did you think of the issue? Um, I thought it was really... I. That said, I mean, like, I, I would I would kind of like to see other stuff, but um, I thought it was really great. Um, I enjoyed... I enjoy any time you can have Hal and Barry uh, hanging out, especially, like, a floating... Uh, bartender yeah that's cool um and then it i felt like the stakes were really high even more so than i felt like in the button like i obviously the end was uh pretty cool to see like it felt a lot more um high stakes than the, i think even the button that's interesting I, I don't think you're wrong about that but i think that that's that's really that's very interesting that these sort of big events that DC is attempting to build Rebirth around, I think they've been pretty good. But I think you're right. I think a lot of the the more impactful moments of Rebirth thus far have been those smaller, quieter, more uh, personal anguish and personal stakes built stories thus far. Vince, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, uh, the definitely more personal conflict than the button and thereby kind of a more impactful one, even though I enjoyed the uh, sort of mechanism or the overall uh, schematics of the button quite a bit. Um, I, the, my big takeaway aside from loving the Hallenberry stuff, I love, love, love 
that when characters get time to sit down and breathe and be buddies and things like that, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for that. Uh, but my big takeaway from this is I am supremely interested in the fact that DC for Rebirth, it would have been so easy for DC to just pick a point and say, from this point on, we're not talking about Flashpoint or the New 52 or any of that. It's a clean slate. Everything counts. They could have come up with some super dickery to make that happen. And and yet, for you know what, see, what seems to be this quote-unquote two-year storyline that, that Johns and DC have planned for Rebirth, they seem to be taking every opportunity they can to turn into that. Like they're turning back into, they could, they could run away from it, but instead they're turning the wheel back towards flashpoint and back towards the new 52 and time being messed with and continuity being messed with when they wouldn't have to. And if you would have told me before all of this, that they were going to continue to reference, uh, you know, the flashpoint manipulation and all that stuff. I would have told you, I hate that. Just get past it. I don't need to see the mechanisms. When Williamson writes it, he, he really writes it like, you know, everything has been messed with and we are going to use this as a plot point. It's, it's not, it's not just apocrypha, you know, it's, it's a plot point for the stories that we're telling that reverberate through all of DC right now. And it's, it's life and death stakes using flashpoint slash the new 52 type manipulation as the delivery mechanism, which absolutely should not work. And yet they keep going back to that. Well, and it's working. It's like, it's like a crisis on infinite earths that's happening over a two year span rather than, rather than one event, you know? Oh, that's a really interesting way to put it. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's, and not only that, not only is it like the, like a crisis happening over two years rather than like a, a six issue miniseries or whatever, but it is using a, a flashpoint. Wasn't called a crisis, but like, let's be real. It was, it was a crisis basically. It was time crisis. It was a time crisis. It's using a crisis to create a crisis that we're now spending two years exploring and it has not worn out its welcome yet. Amazingly. I I don't know how it's, I don't know how this is happening, but that was my big takeaway. Like you've literally got reverse flash shoving free pre flashpoint stuff in your face in this issue. Yeah. You know, all this kid flash stuff that was, I mean, it was extremely on the nose the way he was like, "Are you are you an impulsive kid, Flash?" You know, right, yeah. But like, I totally bought it. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. I think that the the easy way out would just be to say like, "We done fucked up." Yeah. Uh, let's everything counts. Forget that stuff. But they're trying. They're walking this very fine line between saying just that everything counts. Don't don't let anyone tell you these stories didn't happen and then finding out a way to actually make that like work in story and uh yeah good for them Kudos yeah i mean them. They're not shying away from 
it has made it interesting. I mean, the the fight with Reverse and um, Wally and him strictly calling him out like as a fake Wally, but then giving Wally the like moment to try and fight back was uh, really cool. I'm glad you get to see that stuff and like you said, just not kind of ignore what what this is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, that brings us to Titans, uh, number 12, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Kenneth Rockefort. Let me just start by saying I am not the world's biggest Kenneth Rockefort fan, but it's not Brett Booth, so I love the art of this issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, there, there, there's a fair bit of uh, controversy about this issue. Some people are very upset that uh, we get a little Donna Troy... Uh, Wally West love going on here. Do either of you care about this? No. I care. It's fine. Yeah, I care in that I like that. I like that this is becoming like partially a sort of young adult or, you know, millennial romance. (laughs) You know, I love that they're setting up these like classic melodramatic love triangles and things like that. It's a, I think it's a breath of fresh air for DC. But you, neither one of you are particularly offended by that romantic pairing. No, no, I don't. I don't go in for that. I don't really. To me, this is very different than like one of the things I had a problem with New Fifty Two was when Kyle Rayner and Carol uh, Ferris were dating. Because I felt like Carol and uh, Hal were obviously like such a such a touchstone couple, and because in continuity, I always felt that Kyle was way younger than Hal, so it just felt weird. It felt like you were dating your older brother's ex girlfriend, right? It was just like a weird. It was a weird dynamic. I feel like here they've been team members forever. It's not like uh, her weird, creepy, bearded husband from the New Teen Titans is going to show up anytime soon. So I'm sure this is not meaning that. Linda Park is not going to be Wally's true love. She's still his lightning bolt, is his lightning rod, rather. I think it's just this isn't this is a, a side story, and that's fine. I don't really get the anger over it, but you know, what shipper's gonna ship, man. Shipper's gonna ship. You're right. I do like that they call out the like millennial drama, and then just continue with it. The issue was. Not not even like in the ironic like I enjoyed I thought that was cool, um, the like Black Widow tricking Loki moment in this was a little I don't know like I think we've seen that a lot but um, I thought it was a fun issue like I'm I'm all for like relationships and books like give me a date night issue absolutely day of the week like I love that. Yeah, you you fit right on the show, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like these are the things we say all the time. So this is this is great. Um, yeah, I'm just happy that Titans feels like it's doing something that could only be happening in Titans right now. One of my problems with the Titans characters uh, and their use by DC over the last you know 15 or so years is that they've just been they're not Teen Titans anymore, so they just kind of treat them like the shitty Justice League. <laughs> And this does not feel like the shitty Justice League. This has its own tone, and that's good. Yeah, shitty Justice League is Justice League. 
Well, yes, <laughs> r- cur- currently should just League of Justice League, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, touche, my friend. I had to. Yeah, and you were correct to do so. Uh, that brings us to our final book of the week, Wonder Woman number 24. Uh, written by Greg Rucka. What do we have? One more Rucka issue? One more, I think. Yeah. Uh, illustrated by Bilquis Evely. Right? She did this issue, right? Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous, uh, gorgeous art. Yeah, she's been doing such great work on on this book. Uh, I really... It's funny. We were talking about this a few weeks ago. How I feel like at first I wasn't really feeling this this second arc a lot. Uh, the God Watch arc, but last issue really sold me on it, and I I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. I think the stuff they're doing with Cheetah is by far the most interesting Cheetah stuff that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This was a really beautiful issue. Um, I I loved the the care and the time that Rucka took and, and Evely took with the storytelling where like, you know, not a lot happened in this issue, but it was reinforcing this idea that, that Dr. Kale is going, is, um, has alienated the people around her. It really examined like how somebody becomes a villain or, or how somebody continues to be a villain when, when really they're not, your classic like mustache twirling villain you know right and that extends to cheetah too and how she she's been corrupted even after she was quote-unquote saved you know um and it really showed wonder woman's here here heroinism 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 i think it's still heroism heroism (laughs) heroism um to like to shine through and and point those things out and be this like beacon of what is right in the world, you know? Um, and just the way that the art played out with her putting the, the cheap J strongbow sleeper <laughs> hold on, yeah. on cheetah. And, uh, there's our wrestling reference for the week. Yep. Um, and, and how that all played Isn't out. Isn't that really a big daddy reference though? <laughs> It is, yeah. Which is also a, you know, a Sandler reference is also... Uh, Hello? Zabadoo. Have... <laughs> Good God. Kyle, save us from ourselves. What did yeah, you think of this could, issue? Yeah, what did you think? Uh, <clears throat> is This Wonder Woman run has been like a weird anomaly for me because I'm like a huge, huge Rucka fan and I actually read the first two issues and didn't it didn't connect with me so I hadn't read it um and that was coming off like Azarello's run which is one of like my all-time favorite runs and maybe that's why um it didn't click with me but uh I read this issue again not reading any of the other ones and it was absolutely like touching like I I constantly I hate Cheetah like I don't <laughs> I don't understand it and I like loved I don't know like what the build-up was to it so even it then great. like I don't like I don't have that context in reading this. Like it was like devastating, um, so I, I I'm gonna find myself going back and reading it. And I knew I always knew I would because it was Rucka, but um, I don't know. Maybe it was just like after the Azarello thing. I just 
took a break. I just read through the um, Perez run, so maybe this is like the perfect time to go into it. But uh, this was fantastic. Like, I would I would recommend if you can reading them. Oh, I don't know, Vince. Would would you have them read them separately? The um, future and the yeah, past stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess I wouldn't. Yeah, if 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 you had the chance, I mean, we alternated out of necessity. If you had the chance to not alternate, I I wouldn't. I think you can. I think you can digest the stories more easily I if agree. you treat them separately. Yeah, I think maybe that's where I lost me. I mean, you guys obviously are reading it out of necessity and, and interest, but like having to like take that break already. I was, broke me quickly yeah and i'll say this too i i feel like the liam sharp issues did not did not grab me as as strongly as the nicola scott ones did and then once bilquis evely came along i i think i liked this arc more than i liked the year one arc even though i'm a bigger nicola scott i think fan than I am an Evely fan. I really loved this arc a lot. And I think that the Liam Sharp stuff has just gotten better and better as well. And I think that the series is ending at its strongest point, or the creative team is shifting, rather, at its strongest point. And that's very exciting. What has Evely yeah. else done? I don't know who I've seen. She, uh, she was on DC Bombshells, the, the digital oh, Marguerite Bennett thing for the longest time and she's also done a fill-in issue here and there prior to this run but i can't think on exactly what it was yeah yeah this is this stuff's great man like the facial expressions on cheetah are so good it's good yeah the cheetah stuff has been really really great yeah uh all throughout well that does it for this episode uh kyle did you enjoy the books more? Like, I, I know you're reading some of this stuff, you know, month to month, but overall, did you enjoy this more than you thought you'd enjoy sitting down to read like 20 DC books in one sitting? Um, yes, I think overall, I've been pleasantly surprised with Rebirth. I think they've done. Uh, I was really turned off after New Fifty Two, a lot of it, and um. Obviously, like I said, uh, Wonder Woman, I'm going to go back and read. Uh, New Superman, I'm going to read probably this weekend. That shit was great. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, I just want to... I'm going to take a quick second, because I have not been a huge fan. I think we've talked about this in emails. I've not been a huge fan of the Tom King Batman. Oh, I hate it. But that fucking Swamp Thing, issue 23, was single-handedly one of the greatest issues of a comic I've ever read. Or at least Batman. That thing was fucking fantastic that was on our list this week i don't remember where it ranked but holy shit that thing blew me away like maybe it was just me but like i thought i thought it was it, very good i i don't know if i would go as far as you're going here but i would i, I agree I that it's it, a good I, issue yeah i thought it added for two characters that have a huge history in dc like taking one issue and adding it added to like the dc lore for me like, just the one issue. I thought that was fantastic. But that was my quick aside. <laughs> anytime I can talk about that issue, I will. And Gerard is fucking the best. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I've, I was... When I knew I had to read all these, I was a little 
skeptical I was going to enjoy many or any of them. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed quite a bit of them. I thought this was a lot of fun. Well, thanks for doing it. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, as we have been talking about, uh, Zach is in Japan. So we had Alice last week, Kyle this week. Next week, we have Greg Matasevich of Robots from Tomorrow sitting in on the show. So that should be a lot of fun as well. Uh, but until then, you can find all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Vince, where are you? I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And Kyle, where are you? I am at Kyle Overkill. And uh, check out Super Comic Battle Wars. Did I get it right again? You did get it right, yeah. God damn, I keep thinking I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> but uh, Super Comic Battle Wars right now, multiversitycomics.com. It's a lot of fun. And uh, see you next week. I can't find-